0: Verse today is Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4:18. 4, Paul ends this letter to this church he had never visited personally at this point. And he says, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Why would he say, Remember my chains? Paul talks about his change in some of his other writings, but he never ends another letter this way. Those of you that have been journeying with us know that Paul would have been in jail. Now, my friend Jason brought me uh, some foot cuffs and some handcuffs. And I contemplated, because I also have the key, I contemplated preaching from these because I know that Paul wrote this letter from the chains, but then I thought better, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But Paul wrote this literally from a Roman prison. As he wrote these words, it's likely the chains would have come across the script that he was writing. He wrote these with a very specific purpose. Why? You could think he was writing to say, pray for me. Things aren't going too great right now. I don't think that was his focus, though. I I think Paul was reminding the church at Colossae of the very thing that he had repeated again again and again and again and again and again and again throughout all of this letter. You remember the theme. Here it is. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Let's say that together. Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is sufficient. Here's what I think Paul was saying. Remember my chains, because even in the midst of the chains, the God I serve, my Jesus, he's supreme, and he's sufficient. Whether you're called to ministry or whether you're living daily life, you will face difficulty. But know this, Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is sufficient. Whatever you do in life, you will go through disappointment. But know this Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. There's no question in my mind, in your faith journey and in your call, there are going to be moments when you're tempted to be disillusioned. Is this right? Is this real? Is this worth it? But in those moments, remember, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Paul was addressing two issues in this particular church, issues that we face today. Uh, The first issue was is Jesus really who he he says he is? You may know he was dealing with a problem called Gnosticism. People believe Jesus was good, he just wasn't God. So is Jesus really who he says he is? The rest of your lives, young men, you're going to be answering that question. You're going to be answering that through the scriptures. You're going to be answering that through your lives. You're going to be answering that in how you minister to people. Is Jesus really who he says he is? But the second thing he was dealing with, is this mystery too great for me? Because some of the people thought this was just for a club. They couldn't get in on it. And you're going to have to communicate that throughout your ministry. And some of you are wrestling that. Can I get in on this Jesus thing? Is is this something that I can experience and that I can embody in my life? And again and again, Paul says, Jesus is supreme. Yes, he's God. And he is sufficient. He's everything that you need. And here in chapter 4, at the end, he gives some final instructions. and in, in fact, in my Bible, it literally has that heading. It says, final instructions. So, um, you two men, I plan on seeing you a lot. Connery, you work here. So, I plan on seeing you uh, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. No, just kidding. We're <laughs> off next week. And, and Caleb, uh, you're my son. So, I plan on seeing you the rest of my life. But these... I think as you launch into ministry today, as our church comes alongside, affirming this call in your life, here's some final instructions. Listen to how he begins in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I'm going to give you four simple truths. The first one is very straightforward. Number one, pray for gospel opportunities. Now, that sounds like an oversimplification. But man, that's what you've got to be doing from this day forward. Pray for gospel opportunities. Look again at verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. I want to remind you, as you begin your ministry, there's going to be nothing more important than the time that you spend in prayer. Because according to Jesus, some things come only through prayer. There's nothing more important than the time you spend in prayer because according to Jesus, some things come only through prayers. Live in such a way that your life and your ministry for Jesus would be helpless were it not for prayer. Attempt those things that you know could never be done were it not for prayers. Your prayers, and then make sure you've got praying people around you. Why? Because that's the way God opens doors. Paul talked about these open doors repeatedly in his writings. In Acts 14, it says they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says when he's going to stay in Ephesus to Pentecost for a wide open door for effective work. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me. Always be bold enough to pray for things that will only be accomplished if God opens the door. I'm going to say that again. Be bold enough in your prayer life to pray for those things that will only be accomplished if God opens the door. I recently heard the story of Duncan Campbell. God used him greatly in one of the modern awakenings in our world. There have been several awakenings, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. We here in our country hear about the Haystack Revival and the Jesus Movement. Many of the great preachers that are preaching around the country today, now in their late 60s and 70s, came to Christ in that Jesus Movement in the late 60s and early 70s of the 1900s. But in the 1950s, there was another revival called the Hebrides Revival Revival in Scotland and Duncan C- Campbell was a part of that in the 1950s and 1960s he says that on the Monday after Easter in 1952 he was on a platform speaking to the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland when he sensed an inner voice saying to him burn Ray burn Ray he bowed his head and he prayed silently. And again, the name came to him, Burner Ray. Burner Ray. Um, so he turned to the person seated next to him, the chairman of the revival that had called him there to speak. And he said, sir, you're going to have to excuse me, but I believe the Holy Spirit of God is telling me to go to Burner Ray. <laughs> and the chairman was kind, but he mildly objected. And he said, um, you're the speaker. You're the next person up. But nothing could stop him. The spirit had spoken. So as he told this story that Wesley Duell records, he said, I'd never been to Burner Ray, and I'd never known anyone from there, and I'd never received a letter from anyone there. But he went to the hotel, he packed his suitcases, and he contacted the airport, only to find out that that little island was so small, there were no flights to Burner So... He went down to the coast and he asked how he could get to Berneray. And the answer came from fishermen. They said they would take him. Wouldn't be the most comfortable, but they could get him there. So they did. They took him to that little island, the Scottish Isle of Berneray. And then they dropped him off. When he got on the coast, he saw a farmer up on the hill. So he climbed the hill and he went to the farmer. He saw him there and he said, Please go to the nearest pastor and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. The farmer responded, there is no pastor here. We don't have a pastor. He said, do you have elders? And he said, yes. He said, well, go find the nearest elder and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. The farmer looked at him quizzically, and then he started off across the field as Campbell rested on his suitcases. In a little while, the farmer returned, and he said, the elder was expecting you. He has a place ready for you. And he he's already announced that the meetings will begin at 9 o'clock tonight. When Campbell had been ministering in the convention in Bangor three days earlier, this elder had spent the day praying, praying in his barn for God to send revival to his island. And God gave him the promise of Hosea 14 I will be as the dew unto Israel. And he claimed it in faith. His wife in the house heard him praying in the barn, Lord, I don't know where he is. I don't know who he is, but you know. And with all things possible, you can send him to the island. In his heart, he knew that God was going to send this evangelist he had heard about, Duncan Campbell, who had been used mightily in other parts of Scotland. He was so sure he'd be there in three days that he made all the arrangements to use the local church, and he had already announced the meetings. And great revival came to that island of Burnray. it came a part of that revival that we now refer to as the Hebrides revival. I want you to understand God answers our prayers. Do you hear that? God answers our prayers. So pray for open doors. Pray like the elder of Berner Ray. Pray that God will do what you're asking him to do. But there's more to Paul's prayer. He says, pray that I make it clear that way that I should speak. He's saying, pray for open doors and then pray for personal clarity. And I know you both well enough, and I know a lot of you well enough to know that's where the rubber hits the road in our journey. It's not that we don't believe the basics and we understand some of the facts, but God, we need clarity. We need that guidance that comes from him. In other words, Paul was saying, Pray that you would make the most, that I would make the most of the opportunities and the doors that you give me. Now, think about that. I believe, apart from Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is the greatest preacher to have ever walked the earth. And yet, he's saying to these Christ followers that he really doesn't even know personally, he's saying, Hey, when you think about me, pray for me that I'll know what I should say, that I'll have clarity. If he needed it, then so do we. He understood something, guys. Ultimately, his effectiveness in ministry in the gospel was not going to be on his ed- based on his education. It wasn't going to be based on his experience. It wasn't going to be based on his natural gifting. It wasn't going to be based on how he honed his craft. It was going to be based on the power of God working in and through him in response to the prayers of other people. I would encourage you to learn to pray Psalms 1914 every time you proclaim God's word. You heard me pray it just a moment ago. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When you do that, this is what you're praying. God, you open the doors, and then when you open my mouth, fill them with your word. And that's what it is. It's his word. And don't don't ever forget that. This is his word. Now he's made us creative and use whatever creativity you can, but we don't have to write the script. He tells us the story. Just share his word. You're beginning ministry in a culture where there's almost illiteracy to his word. Don't assume you have to Improve upon it. It's an open door for his word. You've got to proclaim the word. Now that means something. That means you have to possess the word. You can't proclaim that which you do not possess. So though it sounds cliche, I would remind you of one of my favorite sayings. Get in the word and then let the word get into you. That means before you can have a public, public time in the word, you're, you're going to have to have had some private time in the word. You'll never be more publicly than what you've accomplished privately. And that's a good place to remember something else that was poured into me probably about 20 years ago. If you handle the depth of your ministry, God will handle the breadth of your ministry. And that's true for all of us. If we get into God's word, if we let him form us and make us, then you can stop trying to position yourself and platform yourself so that others will see you or or so that you'll be successful. That's not the formula. That's not the way it works. It's not the way he does it. One more thing about prayer, and by the way, this is by far the longest of the four points. Look at verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He's saying, pray consistently. And this is something Paul says repeatedly. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Live in such a way that prayer is an attitude of your life, not something you do just at moments in your life. Be constant. Then he says, pray with expectation. Assume God is going to answer your prayer. Don't do kind of the, the thing and it wasn't other people, but somehow in my life, I kind of grew up feeling like I always had to give God an escape clause or an excuse God, if, if you will, or if this is what you want, no, pray with expectation. As you're in God's word, you're already going to be praying consistently around the things that he wants. And guys, that's what we all need to be doing. Why in the world would we pray to a God that we don't expect to hear and answer He's going to answer according to his plan. So pray and watch and then wait for him to do something great. And then pray with an attitude of gratitude. I like to say this simple phrase, thank you in advance for what you're going to do as you answer this prayer. Thank him for your salvation. Thank him regularly that he would use us Because, as godly as you young men are, you know that you and he know some things no one else knows about you. So, pray for gospel opportunities. That's a pretty big deal. And, guys, we're closing out a year, and you've got as much of the future as he's going to give you in front of us. We don't know how long that is, right? Pray for gospel opportunities. Secondly, make the most of the time. Look at verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Why is this so important? Well, there are going to be many things competing for your time. (laughs) We talked about this privately. A lot of them are good things. And a lot of those good things come from good people. But sometimes those good things are going to keep you from the best things. And sometimes those good things are keeping you from the best things. So how do you make the most of your time? He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. God's opening doors because he wants to open hearts. If you are a Christ follower... God's design was not that you just got into a club and now you're part of the secret society. That's what Paul was directly condemning. He was explaining that that's not the case. No, if if you're an insider now, he wants your focus to be on those who aren't here yet. And in ministry, that's got to be what guides you. Him and them, those who aren't here yet. He's calling you and he's using you because the task is urgent, but the task is unfinished. And he set you aside. By divine call, it's not a career path. I think I've said it to both of you. I know I've said it to you, Caleb. If there were anything else you could do and be happy, go do it. But if this is a call of God, he's calling you to make the most of the moments for the gospel. Ask God to help you keep that focus. At the conclusion, you're going to see as Paul wraps up this letter, everything he's saying is about others. And we fight that. And the church fights that. And we fight that because our natural tendency is to take care of us. We want what makes us comfortable. We want the music we like. We we want the chairs we want to sit in. We like the paint color, the color we would choose. And the church and our culture has gotten so focused on taking care of us that we often don't see those he's called us to reach. We have to be intentional about that outsider mentality. How do you do that? Well, Paul says, you've got to ask God to keep you seasoned. So yesterday at about 7 p.m., we had our Christmas dinner, and 90% of the Christmas dinner was delight, delectable. What's that word? Delicious, I'll just say. Dishes prepared for, by my bride. But each year there's one dish I prepare as my daughter would say, it's daddy's famous prime rib. I actually prepared it three times in the last week because we served it at two other events. And and someone asked me at one of those events, what's the secret? And I said, the secret's the seasoning. You got to take the meat out for several hours out of the cold and let it sit. And then you got to season it and marinate it for several hours And let it sit. And they said, what's the seasoning? And I said, that's the secret. (laughs) Well, this is not a secret, but Paul's saying there's a seasoning. And the seasoning for you is a balance between not too sweet and not too spicy. (laughs) And you can be too sweet and that seasoning just be focused on God's grace, which is amazing. And if that becomes your focus, your danger is you're going to drift into liberalism. And same thing in your journey spiritually. But your your seasoning can be too spicy and just focus on God's truth. But the danger on that, if you're not careful, you're going to drift into legalism. And, And that's true for us too. And so he says, Lord, keep me seasoned. Help me to steward my life. Pray for gospel opportunities. Make the most of your time. And then I love this. Most of this chapter is around this third point. And here's what I'd say to you two guys. Surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. You need that. Man, I'm not going to read all of them, but just look through these next few verses. He, he mentions all kind of people. He starts by talking about Tychicus, and then he talks about Onesimus, and, and then he talks about Aristarchus, and then he reminds us of Mark and Barnabas, and, and then he goes down and he, he continues to talk about Epaphras, and he, he goes on and talks about some of his friends in Laodicea and, and Luke. We know Dr. Luke, and, and he goes on and talks about Archippus, just a bunches of people that he talks about that he used to do ministry, and here's the facts. God God will put people around you to help accomplish his purposes in your life. So see the people that God puts around you. From God's perspective, you're never in this alone. Even when you feel like you're in chains, you're never in this alone. See the people. Almost 30 years for me, this is one of the toughest things. Here's why. All the people around us are just like us. <laughs> They're sinners. You're sinners. We're sinners. And so we get hurt. One of my heroes was Dr. Adrian Rogers, who pastored Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. And someone at the very end of his ministry said, what's the toughest, toughest thing in ministry? And he said, oh, that's easy. That's easy. He said, you spend your life investing in others and you're there when their babies are born and you're there when their parents die and and you're there when their kids graduate and are married and then something silly happens and they get mad and they leave the church and they talk bad about you. He says, and then you've got to remember that you don't keep your eyes on people, you keep your eyes on Jesus. So we're tempted to, to... to not see the people because of that. But I'm just telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. See the people around you and surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. Just this week, I can go back for about 25 years and tell you people I've talked to in the last seven days that have influenced my life. People like Jerry Kirkpatrick that was there when you were born. A man the age of my parents who speaks into my life. People like Dan Botts, DJ's dad, that we can talk every week after 20 years and laugh and share stories. People like Ms. Netta Sutton and Betty Kennedy, godly ladies that are still investing in you and in our ministry in this church, though they live in Missouri and Mississippi. People like one of my new best friends, Alan, Who's another pastor? People like David Twitty here are part of this church. People that I'm vulnerable with. And they know my story and my junk. And they love me. Surround yourself with those kind of people. We need each other. We're better together. And by the way, ask God to give you a short memory of offense. Offense because you will get hurt, but you'll hurt other people too, so don't hold on to it. Oh, I f- forgot you were there. Ask God to give you a short memory of offense, because you will get hurt, and you will hurt other people, so don't hold on to it. I asked God to give me a short memory of offense, and He gave me more than I asked for. He just gave me a short memory. <laughs> Pray for gospel opportunities. Make the most of the time. Surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. And finally, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, whatever your circumstances, wherever you are. I write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. You guys both know they may not, Paul normally had a scribe. Most of the letters he dictated, we believe, as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and someone would write down his words. But what he's saying is, even though I'm chained, I'm going to pick up my chained hand, and I'm writing this, because I want you to understand something. Whatever the circumstance... Remember my chains. No matter how hard it gets, remember my chains. This is going to be challenging in some moments. The journey always is, but remember the chains. And for you two, ministry is not a job. It's not a gig. It's not a profession. It's a divine calling that places you on the front lines of battle and spiritual war. Remember the chains. Sounds cliche, but it's true. If God's called you to it, he will see you through it. He does not call the equipped. He equips the cause. Whatever you put before you, he'll give you strength to do. So trust him. He's supreme. And he's sufficient. Just stay in the fight. It's what, both of you have read Eugene Peterson, it's what Eugene Peterson would call the long obedience in the same direction. It's what's described by the Apostle Paul in what became my life verse several years back in the latter half of my life. I do not account my life as of any value, nor as it precious to myself. If only I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Praying for gospel opportunities. Making the most of my time. Surrounding myself with people that love me and love Jesus and trusting Jesus no matter what. Remembering (laughs) the chains You know what he didn't say? The best is yet to come. (laughs) It is ultimately, right? And if you say that and you're talking about heaven, it is. But if you're talking about this side of heaven, I can't guarantee that. It may be chains, Or it may be like our brothers and sisters in the faith today that will die because they testified Christ daily. More people are dying because of their faith in Christ than ever before. And I think when he said, remember my chains, part of what he was saying is be willing to do whatever, to go whatever, to be whatever God wants you to be for his glory. January 9th, 1985, a pastor in Bulgaria named Christo Kuleshev was arrested and put in jail. His crime was preaching in his church. Some would look at that as the end of his ministry. And yet immediately he began to share about Christ in prison. He had a trial. It was a mockery of justice. And he was sentenced to eight more months. And he did those eight months, and he got out, and then he wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers ask many questions. And we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have ever expected in a church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Today, people are imprisoned, and people die Because they believe with their all that Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. That's what you got to hold on to. And that's what you've got to hold on to. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? This is a little different time in the word than we typically have on a Sunday morning. And as we've told you, we want you to see that God is still calling out people because God is calling some of you. Do you know this church stops at 10.02 every weekday and we pray, Luke 10.2, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And we pray. I've been praying for about nine years. God, call my children out if that's your will. Send the children and the grandchildren that are growing up in this church. Send adults. Call them. Some of you, God's calling. And you hearing this today has just affirmed that, and you need to respond. But there's somebody here, because I prayed for you, and you've not yet begun that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm asking you today, would you respond to the graced gift that changes everything for you? It begins by you acknowledging that you're a sinner that needs God's salvation. You believe that Jesus, who was born, lived a perfect life, was born to die, that he came to die for your sins, and he did so, and he rose again. You believe that? And then you submit control of your life to him. It's called repentance. You stop going your way, and you trust him if you've never taken that step, there's there's no magic prayer, but there can be a special moment right now if God's calling you to take that step. So maybe you would just stop right where you are and pray this prayer. Maybe you'd say, Jesus, just you and him, Jesus. I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. I receive your forgiveness I know you're alive today I'm ready to follow you come into my life and take control tell him thank you because I've prayed for you and expected God to answer that prayer. I want to encourage you if, if you just prayed that prayer, maybe one in your own words and began that relationship with Christ. If, if that was you, Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm not going to come and embarrass you or draw attention to you. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let me know another way. But really, right now, it's the only thing I'm asking you to do publicly. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer and began that relationship with Christ, would you just raise your hand right where you're seated? Just lift it up high and say, yeah, I began that relationship with Christ today. It's the most important thing a person could ever do. If you did that today, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to God's family. As our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask Caleb and Rebecca to come, Caleb to kneel and Rebecca to sit here, and Connor and Samantha to come and, and do the same here. And then this morning, we've asked some of our pastors and the chairman of our deacon, a couple of our deacons and and their wives to come and just spend some time doing what we described earlier in the service. So those that I've asked to come, if you could just come and and line up here and, and be prepared to do that right now, please, those of you that I've asked to do that. And as we spend this time praying for them and with them, I want to invite you to join us where you are. You may even feel led to just reach out your hands as if you were praying over them and just ask for God's provision, his protection, his direction on their lives. Guys, you kneel right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we submit this time to you. And we just ask you to work in Jesus' name.